Today, we've got another in our series of throwback episodes from our old YouTube channel, Straight Up. If you want to check it out and know what we're doing, look back to our special announcement that we have in the YouTube feed. But today, Claude King. Claude Do- King. Doctor? Claude I think King? he's Dr. Claude Doctor King now, Claude yeah. King. But we talk with him about... Uh, uh, he's a therapist. A therapist. Just mental health. Mental health, which is really revealing. And the fact that this conversation took place years ago and what's crazy is there's way more buzz about it now than there was a couple years ago because he's saying how important it is it's like even if there's nothing wrong with you it's important just like your physical body to just talk to a therapist get your mental health you know analyzed even if again you don't feel anything is wrong it's just a good thing that you should be doing it's almost prophetic yes it's crazy uh it's a very entertaining episode and i I think it really speaks to a lot of uh stuff that we're dealing with in, in the culture today exactly so with that being said dr claude king i think now stream of thought we hope you enjoy Welcome back to season two of Straight Up. We're really excited. Our guest here tonight is Claude King. Claude, uh, he received an undergrad degree at U of I in psychology, received his master's at Adler School of Professional Psychology, and currently holds two licenses. He is a licensed professional counselor and licensed associate marriage and family therapist. Welcome yes. to the show, Claude. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Claude King, the light-skinned wonder yes. of the world. <laughs> That's what they call me. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Jumping right into it, aren't we? Hey, man, All we're not right. wasting any time of today. Course not. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. Yeah. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for yeah. being on our show. Tell us, man, what's been new with you? Um, just the same old, same old. Um, just been working. Um, mm-hmm. I'm working for a couple different organizations right now. Um, I'm working with Catholic, Catholic Charities. I've been there for about two or three years um, as a therapist. Also, I work with clients that are mandated by DCFS to receive therapy. So I work with parents um, and kids alike, um, doing individual and family therapy. Um, and then also I'm working with another organization called Remia Services. Okay. And they do some of the same work, but it's a, it's a private organization. So I'm a contract uh, therapist with them. And I do like some home based work with them, and then some other stuff as well. Yeah. And so, how how did you end up getting into this? That, that's like one of those things. I, I knew you kind of. We played football together back in high school, right? Right. Um, but I don't think I knew you too well. And how how did this end up emerging? Did, is is this like passion for service come from somewhere? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my dad, he's a United Methodist pastor. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. and my mom is a, a teacher. She's taught in uh, CPS. For 35 years, so she just retired this past year. Um, and then kind of just growing up, just, you know, sitting at the dinner table, um, my parents would talk, and I would just kind of observe and listen, um, and they would talk a lot about just problems that were going on um, at both of their jobs. Like, my mom, she taught in Inglewood, which is a very, very dangerous community, um, and just kind of like some of the community violence, some of the behavior problems that the kids were having. Um, and then my dad on the other side, he would do premarital counseling, and and help people and do that was kind of his ministry um he was a a youth pastor as well too um so kind of growing up um i kind of had in the back of my head that whatever i decide to do i need to make sure i give back to people um so that led me to going to u of i and uh, majoring in um, psychology um after i finished my psychology degree um i didn't really want i didn't really know what i want to do with it um it's such a broad field um, and they tell you that you have to at least get your master's in it. Um, but I wasn't ready for that. So I, I took a year off of school. I worked in a residential center um, with kids that have uh, social and emotional behavior disorders. Mm. And through that, I kind of got my foot in the door of the counseling field. Um, so I worked with, I, I only had a bachelor's degree at that time, but most of the people that were working there had their master's and they were um, in social work and stuff like that. Um, so I got to kind of see how they worked with the kids, how they counseled them, how they uh, de-escalated crisis and stuff like that. Um, a lot of the kids there had, um, um, they were autistic, mm-hmm. um, depressed, uh, had anxiety or aggressive. Um, so I got a lot of my, kind of my basic counseling skills through working with that program. Okay. Um, and then after that, that led me to apply to the Adler School of Professional Psychology to get my degree in marriage and family therapy. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. So, Claude, <clears throat> you have corrected me on this very uh, multiple times on social media, in person. 
there's a difference between a therapist yeah. and a psychologist. Yeah. You are a therapist. Yeah. Could you tell those watching what the difference is between the two? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, people that got their degree in psychology can do therapy. But, um, so I'll just tell you about my degree. My degree is in marriage and family therapy. Um, people that have a marriage and family therapy degree, people that have a, de- a counseling degree and a social work degree, yeah. um, have a master's. And it's uh, mostly kind of focused on, like, counseling and therapy. Okay. Um, social work, their, their kind of curriculum is a little bit different. Um, they can work in a lot of different kind of fields. Uh, counselors and marriage and family therapists strictly do therapy, okay. and that's it. People that have a degree in psychology have a PhD, um, and their their work is more focused on assessments. Okay, okay. So they it. do therapy too, but they do assessments as well. So um, they're more trained in that that area. So to be a psychologist, higher higher school, more more, more courses, school, more right. or less. Right. Cool. Cool. Right, right. You think you'll ever get to that level? You'll um, become a psychologist I mean, one day? Knew we were waiting a, it somewhere. Would be a, it was a completely <laughs> different track, so yeah. I would have to go to school for like another three, four years, okay. I would say. Right. Um, I know and, the, and the debt that comes with it. Right, <laughs> and, and more student loan debt, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and go. I'm not willing to go through that, so yeah. um, everything that I want to do, I can do with the degree I have now, so um, there's no point in going back to school. Did you ever think about the ministry? I know you're you're like talking like a PK right now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Was, was um, that something that ever like crossed your mind? Um, Real quick, kind of. We'll edit. Just pull yourself forward oh, a I'm little, sorry. a little bit. Yeah, and less ums. Okay, less um. Okay, all right. <laughs> Look at you. I've got taking, you. You got taking you. It, you're taking I, I, um guys, I, I have an umming problem too, bro. You're hearing it from 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 the source. Okay, but you're good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're doing well. So PK, yes or no? Um, yes. I thought about it uh, previously. Uh, my dad, he's a pastor. My grandfather, my great-grandfather have four uncles that are reverence too. Oh, wow. So that was not expected, but people thought I might go down that path. Wow, yeah, that's sort of a precedent to be set right there. Right. And, I mean, a lot of the work that I do is very similar to people that oh, are in sure. the ministry as well, too. But he, can't go into, to he can't go into ministry. He's too path. wicked. He used to be very righteous, man, but things change after you graduate from Glenbard West. You yeah, just, that's that's what happens. Just, just ask Neil. <laughs> kind of go down a different path. I'm so sorry. I am the product of my environment, but I am getting better. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh-huh. you, so you thought briefly about getting into ministry, but you decided that becoming a therapist was more. Yeah, that was more of your calling. I wanted to have more of a clinical background. Mm, nice. I wanted to work with people that um, were experiencing trauma and yeah. different uh, social emotional behavior disorders. And I didn't feel like I'd be able to do that with just a degree in divinity. Um, that's why I decided to go into the field yeah. I wanted to. You can do many things with the Masters of Divinity. Just you know, <laughs> oh, you never really? count that really? out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was—I guess I was wondering—having um, having this like background of all your family members who were in the ministry or social service field, um, you had to have been pretty prepared heading in. But when you got in there, was it was there something or, or an event or like a, a environment that you just didn't expect? Yeah. Um, so my, my family is very, very calm. We're very rational people. Uh, and going into this field, my first job was at a residential center where kids were just, like, very emotional, like, very, get triggered very easily, would say, like, the most messed up things to you, would Mm -hmm. throw stuff at you, a lot of behaviors that you would not see, and that was kind of shocking to me at first, and I didn't know how to react or respond to that, Um, but, you know, thank God the people that I I was working with were very experienced Mm -hmm. with working with that type of population, so I kind of, they were able to model how do you respond in those those situations. Okay. but yeah, that was that was kind of shocking for me too. I was more so expecting um, me being able to just kind of speak to the kids one on one and kind of like help them process through some of the problems that they were having. And so it was like a group me. setting then, or like what did, what did it look like instead? Yeah, so it was a the way it was set up is a residential center. There was like six different dorms. There was three for boys, three for girls, and they were kind of uh, set up by age group. Um, and we had maybe like four or five counselors in each dorm. 
How many kids in each group? There was about 11 or 12 in the, I worked oh, with the okay. youngest group. They were from like 9 to 12 years old. So the kids would wake up. We would wake them up, get them ready for school in the morning, help them like put on their clothes, make sure we prompt them to brush their teeth, all that stuff, make mm-hmm. the bed and stuff. Then we they go over to school from 8 to 3. There was a therapeutic day school attached. So they go to school. Then there would be like another set of staff that would come in and then we would have like an introductory group. This is kind of like what we're going to do during the day, the activities. Um, and then a lot of the kids will have stuff that would come up during the day like, oh, this kid said something to me. Um, I, I punched him or he did this to me. I'm going to be passive aggressive and I'm going to say something that's going to trigger him and send him into a crisis. So then like little stuff. And we were, we were pretty much teaching them relational skills, like social skills that they weren't getting at home. Then when the kids would get too aggressive and we weren't able to like de-escalate them verbally, we would have to put them in, we call them TCI holds, um, which is therapeutic holds. So then we have to restrain A nice them. way of putting someone in the headlock. Well, My you don't man, put them in the headlock. You don't put them in the headlock. Those Leonard um, West football skills, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but you would, you would restrain them in a way that was respectful so you wouldn't hurt them at all until they were able to kind of calm down and return to baseline. Mm. Because I know, Claude, I know a girl who's currently, she, she does what you do. She's a therapist at in Milwaukee. And okay. she works with a lot of special education kids. So one of them tried to attack her. Yeah. And she told me the same thing, the therapeutic hole. I'm like, the nice headlock. And I made that joke to her then. And she's like, more or less. But now she's got some type of lawsuit out against her. So tell me about, like, do you have to deal with any legal yeah. ramifications mm-hmm. doing what you do? I Definitely. mean, it sounds like it could be very stressful. She makes it, you know, seem to be very stressful. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the you legal have side to, you have you to be very careful, especially in this field. We have a code of ethics that we have to follow. Um, but with residential, um, it's, a, it's a very high-risk setting to work in because you're liable to be sued, especially if you have... Uh, family members that are involved. Yes. Um, you have the residential center I worked at the University of Chicago, which was my first job. Uh, a lot of the parents were involved. They okay. were kind of like well-to-do parents. And Absolutely. They just, you know, sent their kids there. Then I worked in another residential center in Rockford. Okay. And these were DCFS kids who were removed from their families. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have a lot of family support. Um, but you have to be careful how you restrain kids because there's been instances where People were restraining a kid, and the kid couldn't breathe, and they died. I've heard of that. Or the kid got severely hurt, and then that puts the the residential center at a big risk um, for losing its funding because they're not going to want to send any more kids there if kids are getting injured. So you have to be very careful with that. Got you. Absolutely. So what's the most, like, joyous part about this job with all the the stresses and (laughs) things that come with it? Well, I don't work in residential anymore for that specific reason. Yeah, Um, yeah. But at Catholic Charities, I love it. It's kind of like it's a community kind of mental health setting. So we have counseling rooms. Um, We get uh, referrals from the community Mm -hmm. and get DCFS referrals. So then we call them in contact with them. They come in, we schedule an appointment. They come in, we meet with them. And I, I like that. I like doing therapy with people. I like having somebody who's having a difficult time in their life be able to trust me so I can kind of guide them and walk them through the process of healing. And that's that's the thing I enjoy the most is helping people and seeing them make a change, especially my parents who have gone through a lot of trauma in their own life and their own family that mm-hmm. never got it addressed. And it's sad that they had to come to this point to come to therapy, but being able to help them through that. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I mean, you know, you're you're constantly serving as more or less, you know, a, a pastor for people on a regular basis. What do you do for your own self care to to make sure that you're like still yeah, there? Like yeah. self care is a that. big part of this field. Yeah, talk um, a little about that. I like to work out. Uh, I go to the gym. I I run, lift weights. You skip leg day. I don't. I don't <laughs> skip leg day. I had, I hit legs today. He skips actually. leg day. I had to get this guy to, to work out his legs. He was always on the bench. Yeah, in high he was school. always on the bench. And I was like, bro, you got to hit the squats too, yeah. man. You can't just, we can't just. You did introduce me to squats, Claude. <laughs> yes. Thank you very yes. much. That full body workout. You already um, know. Yeah, so I do that. I do yoga, actually. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I run. I do a lot of stuff. I like to go out, hang out with friends and mm-hmm. stuff. I always read on Facebook uh, a few things that I notice on your <laughs> Facebook feed is you always, you typically, 
have a Bible verse. I've read several times that how rewarding you think your job is, and I've read a few times how you'll put something out there that says more or less like, hey, just because like I'm a young gun doesn't mean like I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Mm. For somebody that's so young, when you have patients that have been around the block a few times and they come into this thing thinking to themselves like, what's this kid? What does this kid know? Like, right. He's only been around the block for almost, you know, 30 years. I've been here twice as long. How do you overcome that? What are some right. things that that's you That's a big, do? that's a big issue. I was actually thinking about that too earlier, but I have a lot of clients that are in their 40s and 50s, parents who they, they meet me and it's like, he's kind of young. Like, how's he going to teach me about parenting? Like, how he, he doesn't even have kids himself. So I, what is he going to teach me? And it's, it's more so just the relationship. Once they feel like they can trust me, they'll start to lower their guard and they know I'm not there to like judge them or condemn them on, you know, their parenting practices. They're just, I don't kind of come at them like, this is how you should be raising your kid. I just try to help them see a different perspective. And a lot of times they're a lot more open to that. When you, uh, when you have patients, how does, what's the process like when someone you meet for the first time, do you kind of first I guess walk, just walk us through the process. Someone comes in, what do you do to make them feel most comfortable? How do you go about understanding them, ex- having them be willing to expose their vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. and then working from there? Yeah, the, the way I kind of explain it, uh, especially with the clients that are mandated, is I just, we, we, I mean, we go over all the paperwork, confidentiality, my mandate reporter status, and I say, you know, I'm just very upfront. Like, this is the reason why you were referred to therapy. Uh, this is what your caseworker is saying that you need to address. This is what the courts see that you need to address. And a lot of times they feel like they don't need to address those those issues or they feel like they're wrong by the system. Oh, I didn't uh, hit my kid or I didn't neglect them. Uh, they're trying to take my kids away from me. So I try to help them understand, like, you may have been wrong, but it's no point in focusing on that. Like, your kid is not in your custody anymore, so you need to focus on what you can do right now in this moment to get your kid back. So I just explained to them, like, the way this works is the first three or four sessions is going to be the mental health assessment. I'm just trying to get to know a little bit more about you, kind of your background, what led you to be in this situation. And then we help come up with goals that they're willing to work on. Uh, A lot of times I feel like therapists will, like, you need to work on this, this, and this. Um, but the clients are not invested in that, so then they, they stay stuck in therapy. Right. So you have to get them invested in goals that they're willing to verbalize. And then once you do that, and you might say, okay, it's good to work on these goals, but the court, when you go to court and testify and they're looking at your progress, the judge is also going to look at if you address this domestic violence issue or this abuse issue. So you might want to have a goal about that too, just you know, just as a right. suggestion. So, as a as a therapist in in Chicago, Illinois, one of one of the greatest cities ever. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about the demographic that you work with. Mm-hmm. The demographic I work with is primarily low income, um, okay. black or Hispanic. Um, I think I had maybe like one one white client, one Caucasian client, um, but they're, they're mostly as low SES clients. Okay, um, male, female age range it's a mix okay um okay yeah age range too is a mix okay and then i work with kids too okay so what's that like claude as a as a young black professional dealing with other minorities that have come from Mm -hmm. crazy backgrounds and situations you know how do you relate to them yeah Uh, yeah get them to invest in whatever the hell you're trying to tell them as a therapist right um I think it's actually, me being black, I think it's actually been an advantage for me. Okay. Uh, A lot of times in the black community, there's this stigma for, like, um, not wanting to go into therapy because it's seen as a sign of weakness. A lot of people in the black community rely on church to kind of get that counseling. Yes, and you put up an excellent article about that. We'll talk about that later. Right. So there's a big stigma. So a big part of it is just, I guess... I mean, the fact that I'm black helps out a lot. They feel like they can trust me, and they don't feel like I'm against them. So that reduces a lot of barriers at the beginning. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I love working with my community. And it's it's, it's kind of a different dynamic, too, because um, 
I mean, I, I grew up in a middle class household. I grew up in an intact family, and I, I can't relate to a lot of my clients on that level. But just from hanging out with a lot of different types of people that grew up like that um, throughout my life, and then talking to a lot of clients, I understand their perspective, even though I haven't experienced a lot of the stuff they went through um, myself. So I'm able to relate with them, which which helps out a lot in terms of be- building that therapeutic rapport. So. What you're saying more or less is, yes, I haven't dealt with all of the trials and tribulations that you have, but that doesn't mean I'm more privileged than you because I've had to, de- I've had to deal with my own plights yeah. as a black man as well, whether I'm coming from this level or, or yeah. that level, yeah. which is very powerful, right, powerful right. place to come from. Right. That's what's up, man. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> but also, you have to, you know, me being in the position that I am, I have to recognize that, you know, I try to empathize with what you're going through, but I might not um, really understand it because I haven't had, you know, I haven't experienced it. So I have to recognize that privilege at the same time um, and try to really put myself in a position where I want them to educate me and, you know, based off the things that they've experienced so I can gain, try to gain their perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How easy is it to do that? I mean, like, I know a lot of people aren't, very open to, to right. being revealing about their own life story and their own stuff that they have going on in their head. So, do you find that your your BS meter is like working overtime sometimes, <laughs> or is it like yeah. is it like you develop a rapport with them where slowly over time their their defenses lower and they're more yeah, honest? Yeah, that's something I really had. That was a good question. That's something I had to learn. You have to keep a certain level of, of skepticism mm. when you're in therapy. And when I first started off, I would just believe everything people would tell yeah, me and yeah. stuff, and then i find out later. Especially kids. Kids lie to you about everything. Mm. So you have to keep a certain <laughs> level of skepticism. <laughs> it's sad. Yeah, but I'll, I have to be really, I have to really question, like, everything they do. And mm. I have to go a little bit deeper underneath the surface to really kind of determine if what they're saying is true. Mm. So it, it takes a while to be able to do that. What do you do if you find out that they're not being entirely, like, open and honest with you? Like, yeah. <laughs> what's your, your therapeutic chokehold? Yeah. That's um, what you got to do, right? Oh my God, it's, no. that's, it's been a lot of times that's happened where I was working with clients and they relapsed and, mm. they, you know, they started using drugs again. And it's a very awkward conversation um, because I'll find oh, out yeah. from their caseworker that they failed a drop. And at first I was like, I don't know how to confront this, and I don't know if I should just be very direct or, like, wait for them to tell me. Some clients will tell me themselves, and other ones I'll have to be like, you know what, yeah, so I, I had a, a conversation with a caseworker, <laughs> yeah. and they told me that you had a, a, a positive drop. And, you know, like, I'm not upset or anything, but I'm more so just trying to figure out what triggered the drop. I'm not, like, upset at my clients because that's a part of the process. It's relapse. You aren't here to judge them. You're just exactly. trying to help them. Exactly. Gotcha. So, yeah. So talk about this, Claude, because this is something I thoroughly enjoy speaking with. Um, psychologists, therapists, black therapists and psychologists. Why is there a stigma around minorities receiving therapy? Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I had an aunt, you guys, and she was dealing with depression. She dealt with a lot of crazy stuff in her life, and she would go to a therapist, and everyone in our family, not everyone, but some people in our family would frown upon that. They would say, oh, you're going to see that witch doctor, the Mm. the shrink. Why would you go to a shrink? Just go to church, pray to God, Mm. and he'll make everything better. So I want you to tell me, Claude, in your personal experience and 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 what you know as a professional, why is there a stigma around this? Yeah, mental illness is very misunderstood, I feel like, in our community. It's like if you have a mental illness, people think that you're crazy. Right, um, i.e. Kanye West. Right, people think he's crazy. Um, well, Kanye West is no, he's crazy. He's definitely crazy, but yeah, he's got a lot of stuff going on. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but a lot of people think if you go to a therapist, that means there's something wrong with you. When in reality, mm-hmm. therapists go to therapists themselves. Um, okay, it's like like you're you know you're going in to a, for a doctor for a checkup. It's not necessarily something wrong with you. When you go to your, your your primary care physician, you're getting a checkup to make sure that physically everything's okay. But we don't do that in the mental health field. People just don't go in like, I'm just going to go in for, you know, an assessment of, of, with a therapist to make sure I'm okay up here, right? We, mm-hmm. we go to a therapist when there's something wrong or we're in crisis, right? Okay. There's okay. no preventative, mm-hmm. you know, care for therapy. Okay. Um, 
Well, I think that's a part of it. Um, and I think another part of it is just the stigma with the black community where we have this idea that um, we're resilient and nothing affects us and we just yeah. shrug everything off. It's a legacy of black folks. a sign of weakness. We withstand we anything bad therapy. that can happen to you. Right. We're not and supposed to do that. We don't have a culture of going into therapy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's another big issue. Do you know what I personally think it is, Claude? Mm-hmm. And I've told this to you many times before, and please correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. I will be happy. Now. This is what Rick enjoys <laughs> doing. That's, That's why, why we I'm have here. this dynamic going. Hey, go on. I honestly think it's because we're over-medicated. See, I think when people from our community here, you're going to see a therapist. Maybe this isn't necessarily the case, but they automatically assume that some smart person that went to school to do all of this stuff is going to refer to refer you to a psychologist to prescribe you these types of crazy <laughs> antidepressants that'll just F you over, you know, over time. Yeah, and yeah. I'm personally I'm not against therapy. Speaking to someone about your problems, again, I've had personal issues in my life and I've gone to you as a friend and you've helped me out and it's helped me immensely. But I'm completely against using medication to treat psychological issues that's just me. yeah that's just me we're definitely over medicated in america um i was i saw this one documentary that said like we're responsible for like we were like 13 or 14 percent of the world's population and like 70 percent of the yes the um the drug use yes. prescription drug use yeah. and we're definitely over medicated in my opinion because i feel like that's an easy way out oh my kid i can't control my kid he's He's hyper. He's all over the place. Yeah. Let's yeah. give him some let anxiety me, let, medication. Let me make up a disorder, and let me make up another disorder okay. five years later. Let me let me curb <laughs> let me curb you a little bit. Well, you, let no, 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 let him curb yeah, yeah. me. Let, <laughs> let me curb you just a little bit. Curb me, bro. The, uh, the reality is, like, none of us are like psychologically normal. We all have issues going on. That is true. Whether it's it's biological, whether it's circumstantial, like uh, situational, right. we all have stuff that. And I mean, my personal belief, and I don't know what your thoughts are, is that everyone should go to therapy. Definitely. You know. It's it's not only meant to like help uh, recover from crises, but right. it's also a preventative measure as well. So right. I don't know. I mean, it, you you would probably know this better than, than yeah. most. And that's and that's the thing because a lot of people don't go into therapy until it's it's, it's too, a crisis yeah. Yeah. situation. When you think about it, um, I, I work from a CBT perspective, which looks at uh, uh, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. It looks yeah. at how you think about things and how that influences the choices that you make. But if you're a person who has black or white thinking, you only see things all the way over here, all the way over here. That's that's some, called distorted like thinking. That, yeah, that can lead to really bad choices, right? Okay. Or if you like to generalize things or you, it's called catastrophizing, when you blow things up out of proportion and you make things bigger than what they need to be. Those are all unhealthy ways to think about things. But people don't know that unless you go to a therapist. And the other thing too is, but that you shouldn't the, use a drug to treat that some, issue. That is, that's, 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 my, my, that's my that's my only yeah, issue. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm, it's not, I'm not. I'm not against. It's situa- I'm, I'm not. I'm, I am not against therapy. You guys, for right. those watching, if you have to speak to someone, a professional, a friend, right. to deal with whatever cognitive issues you have, fine. But I personally believe, and I'm going to quote Cat, Cat Williams on this one. Okay, <laughs> oh, but he, he wise words from this man. Let All me right. tell you guys Very something. Good. He said. The doctor will prescribe you medication, okay? You'll have one problem, but end up with ten side effects. Yeah. This and become reliant on this medication that's been hurting you and making you worse. Like, right. I'm that's, totally... That's medication I don't, abuse. Yeah. But the yeah. way medication is supposed to work um, is that you take the, the, the medication. If it's a... Say it's a kid, for example, that is not manageable in class. He's, like, all over the place to the point he can't learn. The medication is supposed to stabilize the behaviors. Then you're supposed to go to therapy as well, too. The therapist is supposed to teach the kid coping skills to be able to manage those behaviors. As the kid learns those coping skills over time, the the psychiatrist who uh, prescribes the medication slowly decreases the dosage the, the that you're prescribing to the to point them. where they're all the way off the medication. Some people who have um, psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, they're going to be on medication for their whole life. So it's not really applicable with them. But the key is not you're not supposed to be on medication um, for your whole life. It's supposed to be temporary. Right, to stabilize the behavior so you can learn those skills so you don't need it anymore. I've got a question for you. Yeah. 
in the time that you've been doing this, what type of, I guess you can say, corruption, so to speak, have you witnessed that happens behind closed doors? No, you, you, mm. you really think that he can comment on this? Does, I'm not if, asking uh, about, I'm not saying name names, I'm just yeah. saying in general. Have you seen things where you're like, dude, this is not right? People, then people, like, are you like, the, yeah, the, yeah, I, yeah, yeah I, like, like a psychiatrist prescribing medication to a patient that doesn't need it? Uh, that happens all the time, y'all. Well, the, when, when in terms of, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the psychiatrist, I've, I've read a lot and, and saw some documentaries about how the, the pharmaceutical companies will pay doctors and psychiatrists to use their medication and they get like, I guess, kickback money right. from the pharmaceutical companies for prescribing uh, people medication. So I say that is, is I would say, corrupt in, in that way. Um, and with, I guess, my uh, DCFS clients, um, a lot of the integrated assessments I read, which are, is the, the document that's first put out when there's an investigation of abuse or neglect, and they go out to investigate and collect all this information. I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff is just maybe lapses in judgment that the parent may have had, like, um, like the parent is cooking, and then, like, a five-year-old opens up the door and walks out. And that could be right. seen as neglect. And then you get your kid taken away, and then you're proving to the system for another year and a half, two years, that you're a fit parent. Is that like a, a common occurrence? That happens a lot, actually. Really? Yeah. A parent, a kid just walking out. Well, that, or, not or that, but like just lapses in judgment. All of our parents like, have probably had lapses in judgment, right? Yeah. But like the way the system is now is that you almost have to be a perfect parent, and then you have teachers, therapists, um, pastors who are mandated reporters. So if they see something, that's considered abused or neglected, they have to report that. They have to. Um, and that puts parents in, which a lot of these parents are really good parents. It's just like they may have messed up one thing, and then now their kids are taken from them. Well, like now everything has to be sugar-coated and cookie-cut. Like every like kids can't learn with a standard whooping. Like, <laughs> right. don't, knock them with, knock, don't knock them over the head with a baseball bat, but it's like before you know it, like, my oh, man, man got so, over the head this is got, why he's my guy. He's in the mouth because he said a dirty word. We got to investigate because that's abuse. Right. Like, no, right. Just but some of that stuff is abuse. Um, they more so, if you leave a mark on your kid, if you're, if you're hitting your kid to the point where you're leaving a mark, right. you're, that's, that's abuse. Um, Wait, what do you when mean leave, the, when you leave a mark? I mean, Claude, I mean, Claude and I'm not even trying to make a joke, I mean, you guys are Caucasian and light-skinned. So if anyone hits you, it's going to leave a mark. Especially when it's merited. It's different. So, so if mom hits you once, Claude, because you yeah. did something bad, and it leaves a mark, were you just abused? Right. I mean, that's that's the debate that's okay. going on. And it's, the system sees that as abuse. What? But it's different. Like, if you're yeah, hitting a kid. Absolutely. Let's say, okay, Adrian Peterson, remember? He got in trouble for yes. abusing his kid. Yes, sir. He had his kid get a, a switch, which is a branch off a tree, and he was hitting him in his grown area. Yeah. And it was leaving bruises and yeah. um, he had like open wounds. That's abuse. Okay, but that's excessive. Again, Claude, you have you're a light skin. Right. right? You're a good looking light skin dude. You'll have a light skin child. Right. You'll light that ass up right, once right. or twice. But look, this is and the thing. then it'll leave a mark. This is what I learned in grad school. There's, there's we learned positive parenting. Okay. So what we were taught is that when you hit your kids when they do something wrong, you're not communicating that they did something wrong and you're getting punished for it. You're communicating um, aggression and anger. The kid is not getting that they did something wrong and I'm getting punished. They, they're seeing the anger, right? So okay. then you're, you're raising your kids out of fear, right? Instead of helping them to understand, um, like, you made a poor choice. These are some other options you could have had. Um, and a lot of things the kids can learn just, like, they run out in the street and they almost get hit by a car. That's a natural consequence. You learn, okay, I'm not going to run out in the street again. Right, some things kids can learn without being hit. So, I mean, that's that's, yeah. that's one of the. And I mean, you think too, like, and I'm sure that you've had experience, but a lot of a lot of traits, both positive and negative, are passed down from one's caretakers, whether they're parents or guardians or whatever the case is. Like it, it goes down. So if right. you treat your kid in a certain way, they're more prone right, right. to act that way. That's I mean, and that's the number one case with with uh, sexual abusers. Right. I mean. Right. They they tend to have learned that trait from exactly. generations before exactly. that this type of behavior is okay. Right. And then that, this is what you're teaching, yeah, right. yeah, normalized. And this is what you're teaching your kids as well. Like um, when you have a problem with somebody, um, I'm going to hit them because that's what their kids taught. With them. But that's, when, how you, that's how you solve issues is by but, hitting your kids. But when it's when narrative, there's, there's other ways you can do it. You you got you got hit. 
I didn't get. I got when it was spanking, okay. We don't want to. I mean, let, listen again. Yeah. Let me let me let me just tell you guys something. Right. Okay, for those watching, there's a difference between getting hit as punishment and abuse. Abuse is I came home, I had a bad day, I'm angry for whatever reason, and I'm going to take it out on my child. Yeah, spanking is when my kid tells me to shut up in front of my peers and family members and disrespects me. There is a difference. You got hit. I got hit. You got hit. He got hit. And we turned out well. I never got hit. I just got soap and Tabasco. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. Like all, like, like all I'm saying is, and, and I'm going to tell everyone again watching worldwide, hit your kids, America. <laughs> hit your kids because I'm telling you when it is merited. Because that gonna, kid will... You know, I'm no, a man in a corner, Neil's, right? Neil's, Neil's, no, that's fine. You don't have any kids. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no listen, listen, listen. listen. <laughs> Listen, like I'm, listen, listen, I'm going to have Remember kids. To, uh, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, 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 you guys, again, I'm telling you, I'm a first-generation uh, Cameroonian kid. We are strong advocates. We have to instill discipline just, and respect in kids. I'll say this, I'll say this. At an early yeah, age, yeah, man, yeah. you can't play that mess. Sure. Again, when it's merited, I'm not going to come home from work. I had a terrible day. Yes, I we, understand. we understand what you're but saying. If my kid is acting up. He will, he or she will be punished right. now, accordingly. Let, let, let Claude hit right, you right. metaphorically. So look, look. When a kid is able to understand verbally nice, what they you. did wrong, it's no need to hit them anymore, right? You, you, I feel like you hit a kid or you pop a kid when they're two and they're about to touch like the stove or whatever and burn their right. hand, and you pop them because they don't understand why they can't touch the stove. Well, when, you're t- when you're 10 years old if, if, and if, you understand if language, Neil Batang you don't Jr. have to hit them. You can explain to them why you can't touch if the stove. Neil, exactly. If Neil Batang Jr. Okay, oh, says, God. shut up to me at the Batang holiday party, he's about <laughs> to get lit. Okay. It's not about to be excessive. I'm not about to kill him. No um, switches to the groin area. That would never happen. But he'll. You might no. get backhanded once or twice before I even come to. You think about it though. Like and I'm sorry. No, so when, so when, your, when your kid goes to school and a teacher is like, "What happened to your lip?" Little Batang? I, I hit him once like, or twice. My daddy and, hit me. Yes. How do I them. call you guys? Listen, you got listen, people coming to investigate listen, you. Is listen, that worth losing listen, your kid? Listen, they come investigate me. Listen, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll tell them straight up. I stand proud and say, listen, I, this is how I raise my children. You guys that do not believe in hitting your kids are the ones that become soft in this world. That's not true. Expect oh, a participation yeah. trophy. I can, I can see this all right. like, no and you all this. <laughs> that is the truth. Oh. Is dropped. <laughs> 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 listen, listen. I can be the scapegoat for this. That's fine. Claude, you're Ray Lewis. You support Ray Lewis, right? You are behind Ray Lewis and everything he stands for. You think he didn't hit his kids? He probably did. Of course. But that of doesn't course. make it right. That does, I don't like that part of it. You I don't think you there's, a difference, there's a difference between abuse, okay, Neil. and a spanking. Neil, like it is, what we're it, about. It is, that behavior, though, even even that behavior is so normalized <laughs> that you're like, you, it's beyond reproach. You can't examine it objectively and say, this is not an appropriate way for me to raise my kid. There are more effective ways. So you're you're, you're provided with a smorgasbord of options in how you deal with you your guys, kids. Why don't, why, why don't you guys... Neil's on some like, cognitive dissonance. Why, why, no, 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 You were so invested. Listen, again, the most respectful kids I know, people I know, no, Everyone. that's anecdotal. You can't. That's you not, can't. That's not anecdotal, anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. You, is not you have no idea knowing that, bro. You like, cannot say. Really, you cannot really. say. You I said. I said. I personally know. I didn't say it stands for you. I said that me. I personally know. Good. I, but that doesn't make it true. Okay. But, okay. Let, so let me finish my point, sir. What I'm saying <laughs> is that the no. people, the kids that I personally know, are the ones that got hit again. It doesn't mean they were loved less or treated as less than none. But when it came to it, they were disrespectful. They got hit. The question is, are there more effective ways in which to ingrain Yeah, there are, I'm sure. Give me a participation trophy. Take away my iPad for five minutes. Send me to my awesome bedroom. I'm sure Claude has some wonderful examples of alternatives. Those are better ways. Alternatives to violence. Which which it is. But you know a big part of the reason, especially in the black community, why we get our kids is coming from when we were slaves, right? Because we were beaten by our masters. And that has been passed on over generation to generation. Well said. Right? Well said. That, so, that, that shut that Neil down right away. I'm not yeah. saying you can't pop your kid or anything like that. Thank you. Thank you. But I'm saying, like, if, you, if it's excessive, if you're, if you're leaving marks or bruises or if you're hitting your kids in certain areas, 
um, that's considered abuse. Claude, will you repeat that one more time? You said I'm not against hitting your hitting your kid when it's merited, but when it becomes when excessive, well, merited when, when it's when they're young. But when it becomes again, Claude, if if my kid comes home and says I stayed out, I'm not gonna just whoop your. No, I'm not saying that's the go to every time. But we can, but we can all agree that hitting children is necessary to some degree. (laughs) I wouldn't say that. You just did. Let me sum it up. Let me sum it up, Neil. Neil, I think I got this. I think I could. No, because why are you guys like trying to disagree? Like, like stop with the PC shit. No, no, be fucking like honest. Oh my god, we're not being PC. No, but you are. No, no, no. You just, you, you just, bro. You just said, God, you just. I'm saying, if you decide that you want to hit your kid, you're not. You're not gonna hit your kid. I'm, I might pop my kid on the Thank head. You. But look, but Thank look, you. Look, look, look. I'm just saying if you decide to take that, I'm not willing to take that risk. Because I, I work in the system and I know, like, if you're willing to take that risk, just make sure you're careful. I promise, Taylor, you, your baby, you're beautiful. He will hit that kid. I'm not saying it'll be the norm. But you no, will. No, because that don't you know what? You know what, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you you have a responsibility responsibility as a parent though to be able to communicate positive ideals to them in in their various forms and like violence violence I don't think is ever the answer to correct a bad behavior violence because it's cyclical violence breeds violence mm-hmm. and if, if violence is shown at as okay in any and at any level at all it's going to just continue that cycle mm-hmm. in unintended consequences mm-hmm. like you you have to you have to think about like there are alternatives to violence, which is what it is. Like, it is violence. Mm-hmm. Like, there are alternatives. There are better alternatives. We're, we're discovering them, like, as the years go mm-hmm. on, and we have a better understanding of, like, developmental process and, and growth mm-hmm. and, and ways that we're in, able to incorporate new information into mm-hmm. our processes. There are better ways. We can be better than the way that our parents treated us. Mm-hmm. Like, that is that is a choice that we have to make. I'll give you, you this story you, real quick. You, got, dad, you got hit? Hold on, I'll give you this story real still, quick. Dude, no, just okay. let, let, my dad, my I'll make dad my last point. Believe it at that. Let's let the guests. I'll, 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 I'll explain. My dad, um, his his father would you know spank them and stuff like that. Um, and my dad said that he didn't you know want to whoop me or spank me like he got whooped. So when he would, he said he wanted to make sure that he explained to me why I was getting punished. And my dad's a pastor, so he's very long-winded. So even before I would get the punishment, he would talk to me for about 20 minutes and explain what I did. And the whole time, I'm just like, can you just get this over with? Yeah, like, I don't That's wanna... the punishment right there, the right. anticipation for 20 minutes. Right, man. right. So he would explain to me what I did wrong, and then he would hit me. But then it, it got to a certain age. I was maybe like 9 or 10, and he's like, you're too, you're too old to be getting spankings. You understand right from wrong. Um, I don't need to do that anymore. It was appropriate when you were younger, when you didn't really understand, but now you do. So there's different ways to parent now. You got it. <laughs> I got, I got, I got it. Let me finish so my point. Point. to edit this. Why would you? Oh, no, 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 no. I have a question for no, you. No, no, no. Question, question for you. Yes, Victor. Yes, Victor. Yes, Victor. What's, why is your kid telling you to shut up in the first place? They heard that it at school. That is a reflection. Of course. So okay, Claude, Victor, Victor, kids are followers. They go, they go to school. They'll hear a word. Attitude they'll hear the like word. Leadership. Shut up. <laughs> no, you know what will happen? You know what will happen? Kids, all right, that look like me and Claude will go over to houses of kids that look like you and Rick's, right? And they'll hear that word thrown about at their house. Shut up, Mom. Then they'll go back to their home oh, and, say, and, say, and say, oh, my God, I was at my friend Timmy's house. And he tells us, Mom, shut up all the time. <laughs> So I'm so going to try this. You're saying you're everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that you wanted to do that. You want to, when you when you saw you just, uh, your, your you friends trying different stuff with their parents, like, oh, I should try that with Miss Batang and see how that works oh. out. <laughs> <laughs> Claude, 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 listen. I went to my friend Ezra's birthday party. <coughs> Ezra, a, a biblical name, okay? How old were you? Seven or eight years old. So when he said, shut up. I went to the birthday party. Right, he said, he, he literally... literally he was a freckled, like, chubby kid with, like, a mushroom blonde haircut. Mm-hmm. He says, like, his mom didn't have, like, enough money for popcorn. He's like, come on, mom, shut <laughs> up, come here. And he, like, and he yells at her, and I'm like, and she responded. So as a kid, you're learning, you're socialized. I'm like, oh, if you say shut up to your parents, you can get what you want. <laughs> so I tried that on Mummy clothes. <laughs> <laughs> And it, unfortunately, didn't, didn't work, work to my advantage. Right. 
But then I learned, hmm, and she got a little physical with me. Again, <laughs> it did it. It wasn't excessive. I wasn't like, but I was like, hmm, maybe I should not <laughs> do that. Okay, but bra. So, me, so, bra, so uh, I don't bra, call, and Rich is saying bra, anecdotal, but again, bra. I just have this personal opinion, and there's no conclusive evidence you, to prove this, but I truly believe this, it's merely personal, gentlemen, that people who are physically reprimanded accordingly when merited turn out better in life. Okay. Bro. We are doing you would have to conduct your bro. own research. Yeah, obviously, bro. but listen, I've got, I've got three people here. You need to have a control study, an experimental study, and then you need to and don't forget group, and then you need to you conduct that research, and let's see what the recommendations are. All right, cool. I'm, I'm done talking about the whole yeah. hitting your kids. Because I'm not going to buy it. You've got to ask Claude one more time. No, I can't. I've got more. So, Claude, uh, on a more sensitive note, talk to us a little bit about the whole the clients you deal with who have dealt with like sexual abuse, yeah. domestic violence, things like that. What are those conversations like? Um, yeah. Are you dealing with mostly women, or do you deal with men who have dealt with this as well? Well, the kids that I deal with, a lot of them, for Catholic charities, we're kind of specialized in sexual abuse. So a lot of um, our kids, both girls and boys. Were either victims or uh, the perpetrators of the sexual abuse. Yes, sir. And it's a really difficult conversation to have because it's very uncomfortable. We're not really comfortable in talking about sex in general in our, our culture. So to talk to a kid about like somebody touching them inappropriately is very difficult. And a lot of them, especially the girls, won't openly say that. So you have mm-hmm. to kind of talk about it in general sense and. Well, a lot of my work with kids is about understanding personal safety boundaries so they can protect themselves in the future if they're a victim um, and if they're perpetrated too. So this is a good touch and this is a bad touch. If you're touching somebody on their arm, that's okay. If you're touching somebody in a private area, that's a bad touch. And you have the right because you have control over your body to tell that person it's not okay to touch you right there. So a lot of it is just kind of education on having that kid understand what good and bad touches are, what personal safety boundaries are, how they can protect themselves so they won't be victimized again. And then through those conversations, some, sometimes the kids will disclose, well, this uncle touched me or this person in my family did this or somebody else did that. Okay. And then you're able to help them kind of process through it and make some type of understanding about it and let them know that that wasn't okay that you got touched, the feelings that you felt when you got touched were normal, mm-hmm. and um, this is how you can protect yourself in the future. Are there experiences where you've found that you've had to report people? Oh, I do that all, all the time. time? Yeah. Okay. If, if a kid discloses something, then um, that was, if it isn't in their integrated assessment already, like no knowledge, yeah, like yeah. somebody else that yeah. might have touched them, I have to report that. Like, does that come up relatively frequently where you're the, you're the discovery person? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. You ever have something yeah. happen where, like, you discover something, or so you think, and then you guys find out, like, the kid was just making shit up just to get back at, like, a parent or relative or whoever. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, it's not up to us to decide that. If they say something, we let the investigators determine if they made it up. He said, she said, it's like, how do you, like, right. where do you And a lot of, the, lot of the, 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 the claims that we make are either indicated or unfounded. So a lot of times they won't find it, but they'll still document it, and if right. something comes up again, then they'll have that on record. And they say, okay, it's a pattern. Right. Okay. Okay. Is there, um, is there, I guess, anything else, Neil or Ricks or Claude, that you guys, questions or anything that we didn't discuss? Questions or or concerns? No, just questions. Anything, last minute questions or anything that Claude, you want to discuss that we haven't talked about yet? Um, not really. I guess just what my, I guess my future plans are. Um, in this field. Yeah. What do you see yourself doing in the next, like, five years? What are your goals for the next, you know, six months, a year, five years, and so on? Yeah, yeah. Celebrity therapist. Oh, I'm not, I don't don't know about that. (laughs) Um, But right now I'm in the process of getting my my clinical license, which is my next license. Mm -hmm. Um, So the license I have now, um, myself to be supervised, and then um, I think I, I have my hours now. I just have to add them up. I'll be able to take my next licensing exam, and I have my licensed clinical professional counselor license, and then I could practice independently. I don't need to be supervised. I could have my own private practice, and that's kind of like the direction I'm going in right now. 
Um, I'm also um, looking to get into public policy, especially in the child welfare system. Because, mm-hmm. um, like I've been talking about before, a Congressman lot of King, the, right there. Congress, know, Congress, Congressman sharp. King. Yeah, I, I mean, like we'll, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> um, but a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of wrong um, things with the system, the child welfare system, in yeah. terms of them being so quick to take kids away from their parents for neglect claims, not abuse. Um, so I, I really want to work to change the systems that these kids are interacting with and parents and families are interacting with. Um, I actually just had a meeting last earlier this week um, with uh, the CEO of the Family Defense Center, which is a group of lawyers who actually work towards lobbying and, and changing policies that uh, DCFS has that they feel is not right or unfair to the parent. So they work like right really early in the investigation process, um, and they like let the, the parent know what their rights are. Like they don't have the right to do this, and they kind of fight and advocate for the parents. And they're like trying to change some of the policies that DCFS has in child wel- welfare system. And that I really connected with that. So I, I mean, I had sent the organization an email, and I was like, this is, these are my interests. I see you guys are doing some of the same work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CEO hit me back. I met with with her, and we really connected and. Um, I'm looking to be a part of their organization, um, working with policies, and um, she said if I want to be a part of their Young Professionals Board, I can do that, and she, she said she's going to connect me to a sister organization that does some of that same stuff as well. So um, I see myself in the future continuing to do therapy, but also seeing how I can um, impact the broader systems that are interacting with these families. Well, that sort of tails into the fact that you're, like, super active on social media, right? I mean, Neil, yeah. Neil mentioned something about you. You're posting, uh, and Victor, too, yeah. I think. And you're, mm-hmm. you're posting a lot of, um, whether it's inspirational or informative information. Right. Uh, right. What are ways that people can uh, can sort of get a, get a glimpse at, at what, you're, what you're sharing socially? What's yeah. your, social if, you need, if you need therapy, how can they reach you? Well, well I don't think that's what well, he does. Well, that's not how, I don't, I don't work in that field. Once uh, I have my own practice, I can yeah. do it like that. Are you, are you um, feeling like getting your own practice? Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. cool. Um, I just have to get my next license, but okay. people can contact me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Claude L. King on LinkedIn. Um, Facebook is Luke King. And I purposely did that. Mm. I changed my name because a lot of my clients would like, try to search me on social media. Oh, especially the kids. interesting. So I had to change my name to Luke King. I was like, yeah, why am I friends with the Luke King? Right. I'm so confused right so now. So I did that on purpose. So Luke King okay. on Facebook, Claude L. King on LinkedIn. Um, okay. Any DMs from groupies? Groupie clients? <laughs> what the? Listen. All right. Neil, I, listen, 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 listen. No, 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 no. Right, We're on, not done. Right. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.